Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Last Sunday we started a series on Easter Sunday. Not your typical Easter sermon. Not your typical Easter series, but we started a series called The Elephant in the Room. What is the obvious overdue conversation that we should be having about that problem or subject in the room, but it gets ignored and neglected because it's just easier to stay quiet about it. We start that conversation, it's just too uncomfortable, let's not have it. Last week we talked about the elephant in this room, meaning the auditorium where we were gathered at the time, and we talked about the elephant in the room being religion and relationship, the clash and collision, the contrast between the two and how Jesus has rescued us from the ruin of religion and introduced us to a relationship with the Father. Well, I want to Start with our theme verses, and then I'll tell you what we're talking about today. If you have your Bible, or you want to pull it up on your phone or open it in your lap, I'll be in in a second. I'll be in Deuteronomy six. That is one of the first five books of the Bible in the books of Moses and the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy chapter six. While you're turning there, let me read two of our theme verses for the series. Ephesians 4.15, Paul said, speaking the truth in love. Can we read that out loud together? Speaking the truth in love. Come on, I want you to say it audibly with your mouth with me. Let's read it all over the room. Speaking the truth in love. We live in a day and age right now where people need truth more than they ever have before. And you're in this room today, I want you to know that you need the truth. You say, why do I need the truth, Pastor Derek? Well, Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There is a freedom in knowing the truth. And we're not going to get to the truth, new grace, until we start having those tough conversations about the elephant in the room. Today, I want to move this message a little closer to our home and talk about the elephant in the living room. Thank you, Macrone. The elephant in the living room. The living room, also known as the family room, has been a part of residential society for a long time. Did you know that before the 19th century, the space in the house that we call the living room was called the parlor? Because parlor is derived from the French verb parleur, which means to speak. The term was given to this space because it was mainly a place where people came and they sat down and they talked one to another. It could be members of the family or guests in the house or your neighbors from across the street. But the function of this space was to carry out various formal or informal social functions that happened within the house. It just so happened that after, right after the end of the World War, influenza ran rampant across our country 
and millions of people died as a result of the flu. There were deaths all around in every region of the country, in every community, in every neighborhood. And what many families did is they took the body of those that deceased and they had them in this parlor, this space in the house, and they mourned the body before taking it to a funeral. That's why you'll see traditionally sometimes the body or the casket, the coffin is there in the living room. And some funerals are even conducted in the home of what you and I would call a living room. But they would have them there for mourning and thus the coin, the term was coined the death room. After influenza spread across the globe, they called this space in the house the death room. But as conditions continue to improve and influenza and the decrease in the number of deaths subsided, check this out. The Ladies' Home Journal suggested that this room was no more a death room because now it was being used for various activities of the house and it had become a more lively place than a morning room. And they, they said instead of calling it the death room, it should be called the living room. And the term spread among the people and the rest of society. I wrote this down. The living room is a room where everyone has a seat. Because when you ensure that someone in your house has a seat, you are ensuring that family members and guests alike are welcome and they are included in the room. We have couches. We have chairs and we have love seats and recliners. We've got all of this furniture, not just to beautify and accent the room, but also to provide accommodations for everyone that may step foot in your home. It's a place where we watch TV. We spend quality time one with another. We play games. We rest. We read books. We, we have serious conversations, and we have family planning and family discussions. All of this happening in this area that you and I call the living room. In fact, we've even thought of everything we need to make this the most welcoming spot in the house. However... There is an elephant in the living room. I have a serious question for you. You've thought of everything and you've got a seat for everyone. But my question is, is there a seat for God in this room of your house? Is God welcome in this home? Is he a part of the family? Is his presence sensed? Is it felt? Is he there? Maybe a better way to frame this question, is God at home in your house? Is he at home in your house? You've thought of all these things. We've went out of our way to redecorate. We've went out of our, our way to accommodate, and we try to major, for the most part, on hospitality to some degree. But the question that must be asked, is God at home in your house? Can I, can, can I unpack this for a second? Is a Christian home a Christian home if Christians live in the home? I'll say it again. Is a Christian home a Christian home if Christians live in the home? Not necessarily. It's, being a Christian home is not determined by the bumper stickers on the car in your garage. 
A Christian home is not determined by the preset radio station that happens to be tuned on your stereo to the fish, 104.7. You are not in a Christian home just because your doormat says, God bless this home. I think ours says, bless this hizzle for shizzle or something like that. It's not a Christian home because you have Christian decor on the walls inside. You've got the Last Supper. You've got praying hands. You've got the Ten Commandments. You've got some scripture decorated there in the kitchen in the living room. And say a blessing with your family at the dinner table. But does that make it a Christian home? Does a Bible on the shelf or the coffee table make it a Christian home? Does having the NG Church Center app on your phone in the living room make it a Christian home? Is Alexa tuned to play Christian music at dinner time? Is Pure Flix listed in the recent viewing history on your smart TV? Does that make it? Does that make it a Christian home? Maybe you're such a separatist by your theological convictions, you don't even have a TV at all. I know some people, they said, bless God, abstain from every appearance of evil. And they took a sledgehammer to their television and set it on fire in Jesus' name. Maybe all the things I listed from the garage all the way down to the app you have on your phone while you sit in the recliner, maybe all those things should be part of a Christian home, but those things don't make your home a Christian home. All of what makes your home a Christian home starts, ladies and gentlemen, it starts in the living room. My question is, what are you and I doing to ensure that God has a seat in the main room of our house? How is God welcome in our family? How is God welcome in our entertainment? How is God welcome in the conversations that we're having in our house? How is his presence welcomed in the midst of our presence? Is God included? Is he in the room? Do others know it? Do your neighbors know it? Do your friends know it? Do your kids know it? Does your spouse know it? Do you know it? See, you can't read the Bible without seeing all kind of passages in the Old Testament and New Testament where God instructed his people to prepare themselves for his presence. It was not a light thing when you got in the presence of God. Now, sadly, in 21st century church, we've gotten away from that because church has become more of a performance and more of a social gathering. And we don't have the reverence and respect for the Holy Spirit's presence in our gatherings. We're too worried about who's there and who's not there rather than the God that is trying to minister within the room and get glory out of the people in the room. I want to say this. I I don't care how fresh, how cool, and how trendy our church becomes over the years as we progressively try to reach people where they are at. But I don't ever want to get from the foundation and the roots and biblical conviction that the presence of God in our midst is the most important thing that will ever happen. If we are on the property, he needs to be in the property. If we are singing songs that glorify him, I want it to be songs that call heaven to be stirred and the glory glory to fall. When we preach the word, I don't want it to be some comatose version of Christianity where I've got to shake you to wake you up. I want when we walk in the midst of his presence where two or three are gathered together, he said, I will be there in the midst of them. I want it to be about him. I want it to have him, and I want it to glorify him. 
We've got to get back to preparing ourselves for his presence. Our worship team prays together. Our team plans and prays together. We strategize and we lean on the power of God. And yeah, we got process and yeah, we got programs and yeah, we got all the right people, hopefully in the right places. But at the end of the day, the presence of God is the make or break of what happens on this property. So if we'll prepare ourselves for his presence that much for this room, why not prepare ourselves for his presence in our living room? Because your kids are paying more attention to God in the living room than they are in this room. Preparation was a part of your individual and corporate worship. God's people didn't take that lightly. Preparation was a part of your daily life. Go, go, go plant yourself in the book of Leviticus to get an idea of how specific God was about preparing yourself every day for him. Preparation is a big part still of our relationship with God. Because when you, when you prepare, it's showing God that you're intentional. When you prepare, it shows God that he's a priority. When you prepare, it shows and demonstrates that your heart is based in a commitment to something greater than you. And in the books of Moses, we see a lot of instructions given to God's people about preparation. In fact, there were instructions that taught God's people what things were most important and how to ensure that those things happened. And not that they only happened, but they happened according to God's standards and expectations. Now, we go out of our way to get our home ready for a guest that is coming over. If I have someone coming over at the last minute, my wife frantically runs around the house, grabbing blankets and throwing them over the, the, the arm of the, the, the chair and, 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 and cleaning up stuff and throwing it in closets. Let me tell you something. If you ever come in our house and you think it looks like that all the time, Oh, your house is so quaint and it's so clean. And actually, they're like, yeah, I'm glad you're going to come by. When she gets like this, bless God, when the Instacart person is just dropping it off at the front door. God forbid we open the door prematurely and they see into our home and then they decide in judgment that they'll never come back and drop groceries off at our front doorstep for a small tip. We go out of our way to accommodate someone in our house, how much more? How much more should we go out of our way to accommodate a God who wants to be welcomed in our house? If we want God to be at home in our house, it's gonna take some special attention and special action on our part to make our home a place where he has a seat. And it should be obvious that he's there, not obvious that he's not. When you get to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6, God's inspiring Moses to write to the Jewish believers and remind them, when you come into the promised land that I have given you, you need to be deliberate and purposeful in preparing your heart and your home to keep God first. And he says this in Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 5. We're going to go through the Bible in an expo expository fashion, so I want you to stay with me. Verse 5, notice what he writes. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. 
and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy God is very serious about being and remaining first in the lives of the Hebrew people. Go back to verse number 5 and look at what he says. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He tells Moses, I want to be loved with everything you got. From your heart to your home, I want to be loved with everything you got. And then he breaks it down in three areas. I want to be loved with all of your heart. That's your will. God says, I want your will to be aligned with my will. I want you to love me so much you are willing to give up your will in exchange for mine. I want you to love me so much that you understand what I want for you is more important than anything you'll ever want for you. In fact, I want your will to be so aligned with my will, your heart to be so aligned with my heart, that you live your life on a level of surrender and submission that you understand you don't have a say. You do not try to get my heart to align with yours. You get yours to align with mine. And that starts with you loving me. I first love you. Your response is love me back. Love me with all your heart. Then he says love me with all of your soul. Your soul is the seat of the emotions. He says love me with not only all your will, but love me with all of your emotion. I'm very careful about this in the church right now more than ever. But I come from a background of worship and the word where people's emotions get stirred and it's okay. God wired us with emotions. God gave us emotions. We're expressionate creatures. And we demonstrate our affection through our emotion. That's what worship is. Worship is an outward expression of an inward affection. When you love God, can I say this? You're going to show it. Listen to me. When you love God, you're going to show it. I'm not telling you you got to love him and show it the way I do, but you got to love him and show it the way he says to do it. It ought to be noticeable if you love God. Every now and then, you'll notify your face that you love God. Every now and then, your posture will, will be representing that you love God. Every now and then, your reaction to a worship song, your reaction to his word being preached, it will demonstrate, hey, I'm on board with what you're saying. I bear witness with what you're preaching, and I love the God you're preaching about. I love him so much, I'm not afraid to show it. You're emotional getting into it. You might clap, you might smile, you might rock back and forth. You might stand up and throw your hands in the air. You might stand up and you might say amen or glory or hallelujah or hot dog or get it, go after I don't know what you're going to say. You might cry when you're in his presence. When you consider the works of God in your life and the handiwork over your, over your future, you might, your emotions might get involved. Love him with all of your heart. That's your will. Love him with all of your soul. That's your emotion. Love him with all of your might. That is the might represents the utmost degree. Love him as much as you can. Love him to the fullest and highest level possible because it's love that keeps God first and foremost. He says love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Look at verse 6. And these words 
which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. All of this that happens in the home starts in your heart. It has to be real for you first. There has to be a relationship between you and God before what you have with you and God will ever affect anyone else that needs to know God. I wrote it down, I'll say it like this. You can't share what you don't possess. And you can't impart what you don't have. Now you can drag your kids to church, and you can tell your kids they need to be in church. You can tell your kids that they need to pray. You can tell your kids that they need to read the Bible. But you can't share what you don't have. You can't pass on what you don't really possess. He says in verse 7, thou, that's you. Mom and dad, that's you. Now, I'm not preaching to parents only. I'm not preaching to people who are in a family. You may be here and you're single and you live in an apartment or a rented home. There's application here, but for a second, let me, let me aim the crosshairs at us, mom and dad. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when you lie down, and when you get up, and you should bind or tie these things for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. I wrote this down. God wants to be acknowledged, honored, and welcomed so much that he is a frequent topic in your house. God wants to fill the atmosphere of your home. And here in a second, I'm going to get to some very practical so what steps you can take to fill the atmosphere of your home with his presence. If God is in your heart, he needs to be in your home. He is saying right here in these verses, the evidence of God in your home needs to be everywhere, undeniable, and very noticeable. Notice this right here, verse number 10. I told y'all we're going to read a lot of Bible together. This is, this is like glorified Sunday school on steroids. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Look at this. When God brings you into that promised land to give you great and goodly cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Here's a takeaway right here. No matter how good things become, don't forget God. He says, when, I, when you look around your home, you look around your house, and you look around your household and you see how good I've been to you, no matter how well off you get, don't forget me. Don't leave me out of the living room. Don't leave me out of the nucleus, the epicenter of your home. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. How much can God bless you before you end up using it against him? I ought to put the mic down right there and walk off. How much can God bless you before you turn around and use it against him? I was sharing this with Ashley. And I was just going over my notes with her, and we, we got stuck right there. And we got to thinking. And she said, I'm thinking about somebody right now. I said, I bet you I'm thinking about the same person. 
I've watched people who come into our church and their lives were so broken and so out of place and so dislocated and they were so lost spiritually. And I watched God begin to restore and reconcile their life and renew it and rebuild it. And I've watched God just completely turn people's lives around. I'm thinking about a young man who came from the potter's house. He used to ride that van every Sunday to our church. And he'd get off that van and he'd come in and God would just bless him and God was pouring out on him and loving him. And I watched this guy, his life completely change. I watched him end up getting married. He ended up getting a job. He ended up getting a promotion. He ended up getting a house. He ended up getting a family. Now he's got vehicles and he's got a garage full of toys and he's got all this stuff. And God is nowhere on the radar in this boy's life. He's got all this stuff that he didn't build, that he didn't dig, that he didn't fill, that he didn't do, that God did. God's blessed him, and he's forgotten how far he's come. Forget forget him being in God's house. God's not in his house. And this is just one scenario that I'm giving you. It just goes on and on and on. We get blessed by God, and we forget how good we have it. And the one that blessed us, the one that gifted us, the one that worked for us, we've got all these things accommodated in our home and everything and everybody's welcome except for the one that made it possible. When all is well, the question I want you to ask yourself, when all is well, will God still be welcome in your heart and in your home? And does he still have a seat in your living room? Verse 20, he says, And when your son asked you in time to come, saying, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Like, what what is all this stuff you're doing? Why do you believe all this stuff? Why do you follow all this stuff? Why do you talk about all this stuff? Why do you teach us this stuff? Why Why do we observe all this stuff? When they ask you that, then you tell your son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. Listen to me. If you do these things and you live your life this way and you allow God to be a major part of your family and your living room, the very center of your home where everybody goes, where everybody sits, that everybody's familiar with, and you make it intentional and strategic and you are very purposeful about making God a big part of your family environment in your home. If you do this, a time will come when somebody will ask you, what is the big deal? What does all this mean? And when a person asks you, What does all this mean? Whether it's your son, it's your neighbor, it's somebody coming to your house for small group. When they ask you, why do you live like this? And why do you behave like this? Why do you have decisions like this? Why is your home like this? Then you're able to say and echo what those believers in the book of Deuteronomy said. We used to be in bondage a long time ago. We were under the onslaught of a slave-ridden king. We were in suffering 
nothing. We were in chains. We had no hope and we had no help. But God, with a mighty hand, reached into our Egypt and through the smitten blood of a holy lamb, the Passover happened and we were able to walk out in freedom and deliverance because on midnight in Egypt, God rescued us by the blood of the only lamb. I wish I had a witness. If you knew, I'd tell you what happened. God delivered us. God rescued us. God pulled us out. And God brought us in. He said, he said this is an opportunity for you to tell your story. People are going to come into your house and be like, what's all this mean? Not the praying hands. Not Lauren Daigle over here on Alexa. All those things help. And those are indicators that there is something more about your life in your home. But there's, there's a, and I have I, I to be careful with this word, but there's a spiritual energy in the environment. There's a, t- a, a, there's a spiritual tone, a spiritual temperature. There's a peace, a serenity a fullness about your home that matches your heart. If it's in your heart, it should be in your home. And eventually your kids or someone on looking is going to say, why do you do all this stuff? Well, there was a time when I wasn't like this. There was a time when it wouldn't have been like this. But God brought us out and brought us in. And he gets all the glory. Can I, can I introduce you to him and tell you about him? Can I tell you what he's done for your daddy? Can I tell you what he's done for your neighbor? Can I tell you what he's done for my life? I wrote this down. Your living room can be a place. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. We're about to get into some really practical so what. I'm going to land right in your living room. Your living room can be a place where God is welcome and made known. You should accept responsibility as the steward of the room. That if anybody, if anybody else steps foot in your house, they are to encounter God because you were responsible for being a steward and taking ownership of his presence in that room. Where your kids feel it, your spouse feels it, where your husband is looking forward to coming home Because he has had hell after him all day at work. And the last thing he needs to do is feel like he's walking into a war zone when he comes through that garage. How do we get intentional about feeling like our home is the safest place on earth? Not because we have ADT. Not because you're locked, loaded, armed, and dangerous, and you carry pistols in places we can't even describe right now. How do we make that the haven? How do we make that the refuge? How is it where it's not, it's not, oh, if I could just, oh, I've had such a bad day, if I could just go to the church office and sit with Pastor Eric, or oh, if I could just go to 190 Banks Trust and Drive and sit, sit Indian style and meditate in the parking lot of the church because it's locked? No. Where your home is that place where you're like, God is so welcome there, I can't wait to get there. And if you come to my house, you're going to know. Man, these people are real. These people are fun. They are casual. They are cool. They're normal. Pastor Derek's not running around. 
pants rolled up, running through the tulips in the backyard. Couldn't find any matching socks. Don't make fun of me. I say I'm normal and then I do that. Y'all better walk in our house, not because I'm a pastor or because I have an ordination certificate. Y'all better walk in my house and go, man, God's here. I'm not talking about perfect. I'm not talking about, you know, incense smoking over in the corner and you can smell it. I, I just, there's something we're doing because it's here. We want it here. You can fill the living room with God's presence. So the question is, how do you do that? How do you fill the living room with God's presence? Well, uh, write this down. If, if you want to take notes, write, write this down. Type it in your phone. Uh, you, you could be scrolling on Facebook. I won't know the difference. I think you're taking notes. One, fill, fill the living room with purpose. Fill it with purpose. I wrote this down. Encounters with God will never be accidental. They are intentional. You're not going to accidentally encounter God in your home. You have to be intentional about God being in your home. How do you fill the living room with purpose? In other words, make a point in your living room as the steward and owner of that space and environment. Make a point to have meaningful conversations about God. Find ways to talk about his word. Find ways to communicate and convey what God has been speaking to you. Find ways to get on the subject of talking about church. Ask questions to the people in the environment. What did you get out of it? What did God say to you? Now, when you, if you've never done this and you start doing it, people are going to look at you and be like, what are you drinking? What did you do? What's wrong with you? And there's nothing wrong with you having this spiritual epiphany on a Sunday afternoon and go, we don't do this very well, and we need to do it better. To be honest, if we poll the audience, I guarantee you, nobody in the room does it well. Because we'll win the whole world and lose our family. We're more serious about dis demonstrating our testimony to people we work with than the people that we're raising up in our house. So I I'm going to go on record and say most of us are better at this at work or school we're in the backyard than we are with our first ministry, which is our family. So, so how, do you, how do you be purposeful? I want God's presence in my home. Well, fill it with purpose. Be purposeful. Find ways to engage in conversations. Extract a dialogue and have conversations about God. Make mention of him. Be purposeful. Take advantage of other people being in the room and mention the presence of God. Did you not notice verse 7, 8, and 9? He said three things. He said teach, talk, tithe. Teach your children. Which means you have to teach you before you can teach your children. There's an assumption. There's an assumption there on Moses' part and the Holy Spirit's part that you're teaching yourself. And because you're teaching yourself and you're allowing others to teach you, now you've got something in the reservoir that you can pour out on your children. But the next generation goes empty in your nest if there's nothing in your reservoir. If you eat one meal a week, you've got nothing but one, one meal a week to share. 
If you're a student of the word, you've got a full tank of what you can impart. So he says teach, which means you have to study. You have to study it. You have to be a student of what you care about. You have to know it enough to be able to talk about it. And then he says talk about it. Talk about it when you're walking in the way. Talk about it when you're going through town. Talk about it when you're sitting down. Talk about it when you're getting up. Just talk about it. The whole house, it's, it's, you can talk about it, and it's not off-putting or weird when you talk about it. Because it's common communication in your home. He's talking about God again. He says, he says bind it upon your hands and the frontlets of your eyes. And, and I don't want to get into to the direct context there in the culture, but he was literally saying take little scrolls of verses and tie it, whether this was literal or metaphorical, which Jews took it as very literal, which they do to this day. Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem do this to this day. They have little phylacteries, boxes with little scrolls, a verse, Old Testament law on their wrist or right here on their forehead. The point he was making, we'll say from an application standpoint, it needs to be so close to you and so on you that nobody can look at you without seeing it and you can't look at your hand without seeing it. It should be tied to who you are. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm living the word. And if you're going to be around me, you're going to be around him because it comes with the territory. If you engage with me, you're engaging with him because I'm his temple. I'm his vessel. He fills me. And anything that fills me is eventually going to come out of me. So I'm going to talk about it. I want to have it tied to me. I wrote this down. Make a point to use the room as a, as a place to connect with God and mom and dad as a place to connect with, with your kids. Be present when you're present. Just think about it. If they go to bed at 9.30 or they go to bed at 10, don't, don't sit there until their bedtime scrolling or liking or commenting and then put it down when they're going to bed. You had 60 minutes, you can't get back. You can't get it back. What if, what if, what if you just waited and did that later? You want me to tell you something that helped me, really helped me with my time and keeping my first ministry first? I'll never not be your pastor because I got my ministries backwards. I've already done that once in my lifetime, and I'm never doing it again. One thing that's really helped me is I started counting the weeks that I have left with my kids until they turn 18. Oh, you talk about something that'll make you cry while you're going down the road. I think about the weeks I have left. When I think about the weeks I have left, I can, single, I can single out one evening and think about the minutes I have left that night. All right, it's, it's, 10, it's 10 o'clock. They're going to be in the bed in 30 minutes. Make a point with purpose. Fill the room with purpose and connect with them. Look, if you're the carrier of God's presence as the mom or the dad, you're the biggest influential factor that your kids will know in your home. So be purposeful with his presence. You're the carrier. Be purposeful with how you share it. Fill the room, fill the living room with praise. Don't just fill it with purpose, fill it with praise. Are y'all still with me? Fill the living room with praise. Now, Pastor Derek, what, wait, 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 what are you talking about? Like praise, like, like how we do? Like, what do you like, sit across the, you 
sit across from your kids in the living room and look at them and go, glory, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, glory, glory. <laughs> praise, praise is you verbally giving credit to God. Now, if it gets to, oh, oh, congratulations, you've got some liberty in your home. But what if you were intentional about, instead, instead of just spewing negativity and toxins, what if, what, think about it, what if, what if you pulled in the driveway and you didn't go in right away and you prayed and you reset and you said, God, I'm going to go in this house. And so every, every frustration and agitation, every coworker that I wanted to punch and every cuss word that I wanted to say and every, every sigh of, uh, I want you to feel my negative energy, all that, I just handled it right here in the car. And I get you to fill me up. Why am I asking? Why, why, why is being filled with the Spirit a continual thing? Because we leak. I continually get filled. And I get filled with them. I get filled. I get filled. This is an opportunity. I'm not just going to go into this room with purpose, but I'm going to go into this room with praise. I'm going to look for little moments where I get to talk about how good God is. I'm not going to rub it in and suffocate my kids, walk around slapping them with a Bible. But there's little subtle things I can do. There's little subtle things. And if, if you don't have kids, when you have a small group at your house or your friends are at your house, find little windows of opportunity to talk positively about your God. Use your life to describe the goodness of God. Use your words to put into audible form how good God is. Talk, find ways to give him credit. When you're, when you're talking about things, or you're able to buy your kids something, you're able to pay off something, you're able to add on to your home, or you're able to, to, to afford to do something, or, or you have a breakthrough, or you get healed from an infirmity, or you watch God do something in somebody's life, or somebody gets saved, or you watch God do something in your church, your home should be a place where you talk about God. That's praise. Play some worship music. I'm not saying that you can't have classic gold Saturday night. I'm not saying that you can't have Journey playing. But I'm going to tell you something, it's really hard. It's really hard to jump tracks from David Allen Coe. To how great thou art. I'm not going to get up here and get on some crazy soapbox like I've heard preachers do. George, straight to hell. Hey, I'm not. <laughs> but what if you just started making your living room feel a little more like your heart? He's there. Let's make him welcome. Let's do stuff that invites him. Let's talk about him. Let's play some music. Let's describe him. Talk about your wins. 
you have a positive thing that happened, do you have a win? Then people in your house should hear you talk about it. We're real good at describing our losses and talking about things that are unfortunate or not going well for us. We do that instinctively first for some reason. But imagine if you filled the room with praise by talking about the wins. Well, my kids are going to think I'm weird. So what? Keep doing it. That seed you're planting, and eventually that seed is going to take root, and God's going to water it somewhere and give increase to it. And your kids are going to look back and go, I get why mom and daddy made a point to talk about how good God was. I'm not stupid. I knew my mom and daddy weren't perfect. I knew they had fights. I knew they had uh, disagreements, and I knew there was division, and I knew they weren't perfect. But you know what? They made a point to make much of Jesus. Come on, McClone, help me close. Fill the living room with purpose. Fill the living room with praise. Fill the living room with prayer. This is the hardest thing to do. Out of those three, this is the hardest one to do. It's going to be weird for you to try to pray with the people you love if you don't pray by yourself. There's a different, and I, I would always suggest this. You need to have your own prayer life with God before you try to lead others into your prayer life. Leading in prayer is not the same thing as having a conversation with God. When I'm leading in prayer, it's a little more formal. It's a little more corporate. It's a little more, it's, it's a little more accommodating to everybody in the room. But when it's just me and God, all the formalities kind of fall off. And it's just me learning how to talk to God. And the more I learn how to talk to God and listen to God, the easier it is for if there's a need and I go, Hey, Ashley, let's pray. I walk into my kid's room. Daddy, I don't feel good. I lay my hand, I lay my hand on their head and start praying. And let me tell you something. It is a good feeling to know that I can walk up to my kid and say, all right, let me help you. And I pray for them. And when I put my hand on them, they're not like, what are you doing? I want, I want my living room and not... Everybody in the room can get better at this. That my living room can be a place where we can pray and it's completely okay. Where we can talk together to God. And it's, it's, it's fitting. It suits the nature of our home and the nature of our family. Where you can host a small group at your house if you want to. And you can make that room a dedicated space to God's presence. When you pray, I just wrote this down, I'll throw it out. Learn how to make petition. Ask the people in the room, whether it be your spouse, whether this be your friends you've got over, whether this be your kids, ask them to make petition. Like together, let's make some requests and let's pray about it together. Make a point of intercession. Sometimes people have a specific need and God will lead you to go and pray over and for that person, make intercession for them. We're going to stand in the gap for you. We're going to lay our hands on you, believing God for impartation, revelation, or divine intervention, and we're going to make intercession. We're going to pray for you with the laying on of hands. Make war. My God, I ain't got time to work this. Make war. Understand that you and your spouse, you and your fiance, you and your small group, you and your kids, you are in a war zone every day of your life. 
As a believer, you work and serve in the army of the Lord, and there are devils and demons. Your enemy is after you. He's after your husband. He's after your wife. He's after your little kids. He's after your grandkids. He's after your marriage. And you've got to learn how to covenant and partner together, get in the trenches, hold on to one another, lift up the banner of praise, and get a hold of God in prayer and make war against your enemy and make room and fight God into that. My God, we could all do better about this. Have discussion, have conversation, but more than anything, clear off a spot in that living room and learn how to make room for God in that home. What if we, how much different would our week be if we all tried this? Whether you have kids or don't have kids. Well, Pastor, I live by myself then you've got the perfect working model to do, to do this with. Nobody else can mess this up or monkey it up for you. It's you. Like what if you turned your living room into a worship room? What if you did crank that music up and you turned your phone over and you got down on your knees and you raised your hand and said, God, I remember when I was in Egypt, but I remember when you came to me and you shone like a light in my darkness and you delivered me. I give you my life. I give you this house. As the steward of this room, I dedicate it to you. Whether it's your neighbors or your friends, or people from your church, or your spouse, or your fiance, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your children or grandchildren. People should walk in. And there's not this elephant in the living room of, I thought this was a Christian home, but God's not here. I could have got up here and preached on a whole bunch of don'ts. Don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this, and don't do that. But I'm not arming you with anything that you can put into practice. And maybe if your focus is, well, let's, we don't do this, and we don't do that, we don't, we don't allow them this, and we don't, we don't have, but what are you doing, though? Like, what are you doing in your home that makes your kids notice God is present, not those things are absent? Anybody can make those things not absent. Some things are so absent, you don't have any carbs and any gluten and any sugar and anything in your house. But what's present? Is he there? Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.